Hello and welcome to Off The Record. If you are listening live on Adobe, welcome. Thank you for listening. You can keep up with us at offtherecord.fm. Subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever podcast client of choice you use. For all our lovely listeners, offtherecord.fm has show notes. Uh, Jesse's Twitter, where he tweets about Brooklyn, uh, Hopstop. Twitter actually was around in 2004, and you can find Jesse there loving Hopstop. But regardless, thank you for listening. You know, just because you can't navigate cities doesn't mean you need to make fun of my superior sense of direction. I, uh, I, the worst part of Manhattan for me is when I get below the numbers. Um, anywhere where there isn't a number in Manhattan, that goes, that's a shout out to you, Alphabet City. Um, really, I, you can't navigate A, B, C, D for it's all hard, four of those man. I don't know what comes first. What, what way does it go? Is, is A west? Is A east? I don't know. I mean, I do know, but like, you know, you know what I'm saying, Jesse. I, I, my, direct, my directional sense for uh, Alphabet City is where Cats is, and I revolve around that. I'm going to say this. Okay. There's no need for you to really know much past Avenue A. Like, I go to Avenue B occasionally, but like, I haven't been to Avenue C or D in like 10 years. Wait, is there a D? Yeah, there's a D. I actually once on a date with a girl. I was like, let's go investigate how bad the avenues were. This was in the late 90s. And it was is there really an bad e? over there. There's is no there an... Avenue E. Okay, I really I really didn't know that there was a D. I, re- I thought it was just ABC. Yeah, wow, D's yeah, got to be a dark place, huh? Yeah, it's all projects. Wow. Damn. Wow. Right. I took the I took this girl there. You know, I romanced her enough that she's still one of my best friends, and we dated for a year and a half. So I got the smooth moves. I just feel bad that we got so dark so early about Avenue D. I, it's really, <laughs> D's I, for dark. Is, is D just Brooklyn? No, come on. That there's then the FDR, then the East River, <laughs> then Brooklyn, then that, Kent Avenue, where you were today. Uh, okay. Well, um, that's your history lesson for this week's episode. Ge- of geography lesson. Geography. God, thank you. God. I am going. I'm not a college graduate, so you can't uh, harp on me yet. Okay. Okay. Uh, so our lovely listeners, there are so many smart ones of you. And you guys all, and ladies, ask some lovely questions for us. And you do that by tweeting hashtag AskOTR or by emailing us or by asking us questions at our website. And um, there's so many questions that Jesse and I wanted to answer them and and talk to each other and and get into politics and humanity and the meaning of life. It's probably not going to happen. Okay. Our our frequent frequent, uh, listener and question asker, at Ben Butchnat, and I'll never pronounce that right. Jesse, do you go to do you go to music festivals yearly? Do you have a favorite? Um, actually, I want to just get into a little backstory about this. Jesse, when was the first music festival that you can remember going to? Mm, probably Lollapalooza. Really? Yeah, I went so, to Lollapalooza when I was like probably fourteen. So when you were a young, so when you were a youngin, was there just man? How old? What year was that? Was it like, when that you were was 14? like one of the first. That was the first like touring like one like that kind of gave birth to the Warp Tour and all right. that. I'm not say. making fun of you, but how old were you when you were four, like? What year was it when you were 14? Like 94, 92? So 92. So back, back then there were hardly any festivals, let alone traveling festivals, right? I think that was the first traveling festival. Was Lollapalooza, it, it was, I'm pretty yeah. sure. So you went to Lollapalooza. You did not go to Chicago like people do now for Lollapalooza. You went, it yeah. came to you. Yes, it was at Randall's Island in New York. Oh, God, Randall's Island. Yeah. not, not I spent place. many years there playing sports after school. Just so you oh, know. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, that's where the um, rich schools play sports. 
Well, what, what, what I did is uh, my father took me, and then my friends and I were such assholes that we rolled joints in front of him and proceeded to blow it in his face. Holy shit. Yeah, I was wow. a horrible kid. Have I ever mentioned that before the show? No, not really, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I was the worst kid of all time. Okay. I was pretty okay. I didn't make yeah. my Jewish mom cry too much. You, 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 you were uh, an angel sent from heaven compared to how bad I was. I got it all out. You might still, like, you know, freak out when you get out of college and then be turned into this horrible demon. There's, like, definitely at least a 30% chance. Yeah, I mean, that's a thing that very commonly happens is you don't get the demon out and then all of a sudden you just turn into this horrible person. We've all met the straight-edge kid through his true till college. And then, oh, and then he's that's me. My, that he's that he's my age, and then he's like quitting drinking to focus on his cocaine habit. True story, friend of mine. Stop talking about me. <laughs> so you went to Lollapalooza. Do you do you remember who who was there? Did it have an yeah, effect it was on like, you? Sonic Youth was awesome. I went two years. I can't tell the difference between, but I saw like Pavement, Sonic Youth, Hole. Super Chunk. I saw lots of really cool bands, and it was a lot of fun. And you so, know, and so after that, did you start going to festivals frequently, or was it still infrequent? And maybe you went to Warp sure. Tour. Yeah, well, Warp Tour came sh not far after that. I definitely went to the first few Warp Tours. Soul and Biscuit at Warp Tour, you know, because that's the band that stands out. Um, <laughs> I mean, I would, I, I like seriously, one of the most. Poignant like memories of any artist I have watched at Warp Tour was Blood on the Dance Floor. So like I imagine in ten years I'll say that, and that's like Limbiscuit, you know. K K Katy Perry is pretty memorable for me. Oh yeah, my, me too. That's uh, my first Warp Tour. Was that? <laughs> yeah. Wow. But yeah, I, I went to festivals as I got. So you have to also remember my next festival experiences though is we started doing the more diy festivals which is what birthed your festival scene of today but they were much smaller like we'd go to like michigan fest and michigan fest would maybe be like a thousand people showing up to see 30 screamo bands for two days or something uh -huh. and it was they were a little bit more you know like hardcore was back then a little bit more hard you know there'd be workshops on diy stuff oh and, that's cool uh, i actually did, i think that sounds like to me i don't ever want to go to south by southwest but oh i, God, I probably will but regardless like i something like you know those kind of talks and stuff sound interesting to me like the panels you know that like that to me sound and i know but we're, we're not talking like, about panels we're talking right, about I, workshops I know, I know but like that yeah. to me that's how as a sellout that's what i think of it as you know because i i can actually sell this room out by people speaking to people mm. it's not diy it's, it, it, it is that part of it's fun i assume the fun part for you was the drinking drinking in austin but yeah, well, I partied pretty hard at last year, South by Southwest, but that's that's a story for another time. But what I was going to say is, is now those same type of festivals have scaled up, and now it's too much for me. There's oh, too God. much running around. It's not even me being old, because I have a lot of energy for that on a Brooklyn night. But what it is, is I need two hours to go chill in my bedroom in between. Mm, so, and if you're at a festival all day, they're probably not going to let you bring your... Um, you are like smoothie making machine in, right? It, it, it's true. Now I can go hang in the band's van or tour bus, which I often do. Like at Warp Tour, like I'm basically not going unless somebody's letting me chill in their tour bus for a few hours and hang. Is this where I call? Or is this where I note to our listeners that while Jesse sounds like an asshole, he doesn't necessarily mean to sound like one right now. I'm just, I'm trying to discuss how 
I'm just, there's too much rock in a day for me at a festival. Oh, I don't, yeah. I'm not trying to sound like an asshole and sound like the cool guy. I'm saying I can't listen to music that loud all day because it exhausts me because I listen to music for 10 to 14 Imagine hours a day. being a producer. You definitely shouldn't do that, man. Yeah, 10 to 14 hours a day every day and then to go to a festival for pleasure, it's a little exhausting. So, so for me, and this question from Ben was essentially favorite music festival that you still go to yearly. My favorite is definitely Riot Fest. So for my personal experience, uh, I have gone to Warp Tour. Uh, the first time I went to Warp Tour, and that was the first festival I'd ever gone to, was 2008. Then uh, I didn't go in 2009, maybe. That's a lie, maybe. But I did start going to Bamboozle um, for three years in a row, the last three years of the festival. And um, following that, I started going to Warp Tour for every year. And then uh, I've been to the fla- the first two skating serves, and I've also been to Riot Fest the last two years. So... I kind of went from no festivals in my life to about three a year, which I think could is maybe, may, I feel like maybe two a year is an average for most people that go to musical things, not even necessarily in our scene. I feel like um, someone might go to, uh, is it called Electric Daisy Carnival? Yes. And then also Governor's Ball or Coachella Ooh. and something else. Um, there, there are many music festivals now for many groups of people, which I think is cool. Maybe some other time, Jesse and I will talk more. There's been a lot of articles recently because it's music festival season about the economy of music festivals. But uh, my favorite, the best festival, one of the best weekends of my entire life was the first year I went to Riot Fest in 2013. It was just so fun. Um, as someone that typically goes to shows alone, not because I don't have any friends. Mm-hmm. but because- <laughs> Sure, that's it. I mean, that was definitely why at the beginning. But I got like, I don't know. It's interesting to me. Most people I talk to don't like going to shows if they can't go with someone. Oh, really? I go to I most of my life I go alone, but then I know a lot of people there. Okay, so but like for me growing up in New York, no one, as we've talked about at length, like no one I knew liked this music, you know. So I mm-hmm. just would always go alone. And I but got I really- made all my I made all my friends from people I'd meet at those shows. Oh, I have very bad social skills, Jesse. Uh, you don't have bad. I mean, social I did. Skills. I did though. Uh, okay, I, you are better now. Yeah, but so. So, um, but yeah, so Riot Fest, I went with a group of friends and I didn't really know what it would be like because I'd never done something like that before. And it was an incredible time. Like the music was great. It was great. We did a DJ night. It was fun. And, and Riot Fest was the best run festival I had ever been to as well. And, and so Riot Fest is my favorite, but I like festivals. I, I like skate and surf, even though sometimes it's messy. This year should be fun. Um, Warp Tour is as much fun as it isn't, just because, as Jesse was saying, the long days, the heat, the pavement. But, oh, the heat. But I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't trade going to Warp Tour for anything because it feels it it feels like a centering place to me. And I, I, I a lot of people wish like Warp Tour was gone. And if Warp Tour is gone, we'd all be in a lot of trouble. I think. But that's neither here nor there. But. Um, uh- I will say this, that when I look at a lineup and I'm like, which fest would I like to go to? It's definitely Riot Fest. Yeah. It's that I'm too socially exhausted and exhausted by hearing loud music to do those festivals. I have, and this isn't, I should, what I wanted to say before is I've been this way for about 12 years. I was nearly your age when I got sick of them. I just wow. can't do it. I just like socially and longevity of blowing my ears out. I can't do it. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I, 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 it's definitely like, it's, it's exhausting, you know? <laughs> yeah. And cause I, you know, you're like, you, you've decided that you're going to just destroy your body for that weekend. You know, like that's, that's, I just don't know how you don't do that. Otherwise, like, so Friday, the first day of Riot Fest Friday, we, we get, we get into Chicago 
and we're like, let's go to Chicago Diner, which is this uh, famous like vegan diner chain in Chicago. We go, we all get like vegan wings, uh, fries, Bloody Marys at like 12 in the afternoon. The festival doesn't start until like five and we're, we're like, we've already destroyed ourselves, you know? And we had to go back to the hotel, take a nap. And then it was, and then it was raining and muddy and it's like, let's do this for three days. And I'm really glad we did as always, but there's just no way to like go out unscathed. It's true. It's hard. It's, 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 it's a little too much rock unless you got that young spirit that's ready to party all night long and get high off that music. I, sometimes I wish I was more of a white girl, more than I already am. You know, when I first heard you say that, I thought you said wigger, and I was really <laughs> disturbed. I was like, all right, get into this podcast. <laughs> wow. Did you like... I, 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 some some people really liked our tweets last night, Jesse, about Bonnie Vare and um, <laughs> drinking and brunches. Yes. Um, and those two things just seem connected to me. But yep. uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, from at Carlos... Aviles, um, can you guys give any insight on record label contracts? Any information would be helpful. Are you trying to sell out, Carlos? Jesse, Jesse will not think you're DIY. So, I mean, the second you sign record label, you're obviously not DIY anymore. Yeah. All right. Let's try to hit this in an educational way. Mm -hmm. We can say that there are tiers to uh, different kinds of record contracts. Jesse, I'm going to list three. You let me know if you think there should be more. 50 mm -hmm. 50 deal, mm -hmm. um, a PPD deal, and a 360 deal. Sure. Okay. We'll go through each one uh, a little bit. So, a 50 50 deal is where, uh, let me give you just an example. We'll do an example for each of these. Pick a band for me. Uh, well, the only one I could that's coming to my mind is The Devil Wears Prada with Rise. Well, I, for 50, for, okay, so bad, all bad timing records signings are 50 50 deals. So let's go with Kevin. <laughs> okay, oh, yeah. And so, you know, famously, back in the day, all fat records and epitaph ones used to be yeah. 50 50 deals. Uh, bad timing. This is a thing of the past, obviously. Yeah. Bad timing is a 50 50 label. Run for cover is, top shelf is, I believe, no sleep is. Uh, they're uh, kind of like the smaller punker labels. Um, I just call myself punk. So bad timing records it does 50, 50 deals. Uh, we have signed Kevin divine and we are reissuing his brother's blood LP, or let's just say brother's blood is a new LP. Uh, bad timing records assumes the cost for the recording of the album. So if Kevin is recording with Jesse cannon and Jesse charges $5,000 bad timing records pays for those $5,000 of recording mixing and mastering, we then own that music either forever or for an agreed upon time. Um, Bad Timing Records has now also assumed the cost of uh, production, uh, of manufacturing for the music. That means vinyl CDs for promotion, like a music video or a publicist and any advertising and anything like that. So, or tour support, or if tour there's support. some sort of buy into the tour right. for whatever. So if the recording costed $5,000 with everything else that I just mentioned, uh, we could have also spent upwards of another $10,000. So let's just say we've spent $15,000 on this project by, uh, on date X. So, uh, we're going to release the record. If we release the record and it's, uh, sells $2,000 worth of music, in six months, when we account for royalties, if we've only made $2,000, but we've spent a total of $15,000, Kevin Devine will not see anything on his royalties yet because um, that release is still $13,000 in debt. 
However, if the record in six months has made $20,000 and there's $5,000 worth of product with a 50-50 deal, Kevin Devine... Profit. 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 profit, Kevin Devine would see uh, $2,500 and Bad Timing Records would see $2,500. Does that adequately uh, assess that situation for you? I think that's a great way of exploiting it to a layman. Okay. So the next kind of deal is a PPD, which traditionally stands for published price to dealers. Um, and with PD, PPD, it's typically dramatically um, under a 50-50 deal in terms of the percentage. But often an artist can see uh, more money in different areas. So with a 50-50 deal, an artist needs to recoup for the label all costs like we just talked about. Um, production, manufacturing, publicity, etc. But with the PPD, the artist uh, recoups money based off of the actual music sold, not necessarily all of the nitty gritty. Um, so, a lot of labels like Rise, Epitaph, Hopeless, etc., use PPD because it's not really because of the amount of money that Hopeless put up for a release. They or their explanation to you would be that they can't uh, afford to give you a 50-50 deal if they have 15 employees that will work for you at any time and, and hire out to better companies for publicity. However, you might see a higher return on 14% of the music sold than you would uh, 50% of music sold at a smaller label like Bad Timing Records. Um, so it's a little confusing because every label does it differently. Um, and depending on what contract you get or what size band you get, one label might offer you 12% PPD and another might offer you 18% PPD. It, different, it depends on your negotiating standpoint. The highest percentage you can get is the best percentage possible, basically. Um, and again, royalties are typically... Uh, two to four times a year, depending on label. The third type of uh, record deal, and one that no one should ever sign, is a 360 deal. A 360 deal is where labels um, see portions of your revenue from all revenue uh, streams. Music, touring, merchandise, and maybe some other stuff. So traditionally, it's a job of the label to sell music, to make money off of music, and to give a part of its earnings from that music to the artist. When the music industry, quote unquote, died and jumped into a river, which it didn't do, uh, labels, <laughs> labels said, oh my God, we can't be signing bands to a $10 million contract. We got to make more money. Bands, you tour, give us some of that money. Bands, you sell merch, give us some of that money. And so, because bands were in a bind, they started taking this deal. So, I assume whoever asked this may be in a situation where they're not going to be on a 360 deal uh, on a level of a Warner Records. But, let's just say you're working with a smaller label. Most For music in a 360 deal, it starts from um, day one. You're never going to see money recouped on your music until you recoup it. Uh, <laughs> you're never going to see royalties until you recoup I mean it. Is Some that, would argue in most of these deals that you're never going to really see the money because they're spending so much money. And I actually, this is what I should say. I wanted to correct you that you, when you said no one should ever sign one of these. Pop stars should sign these because if you're doing pop, you're so interchangeable and they're going to put you with producers and songwriters who are going to put you through a machine that makes a hit. And as long as, you know, usually you're pretty enough, you're, 
you know, have some sort of Persai, you get with the right songwriters and they give you the right stroke of luck of you getting the budget poured into this, you're going to have some fame and hopefully leverage this with some endorsements and other things and you're going to make some money for yourself. But I don't think it, you know, when you're going to be one of those people where it really is the lottery, like whereas with bands, it's this chemistry and it's this thing of having the right thing. But once you're one of those people who's just writing with songwriters all day and then working with producers all day, yeah, take the 360 deal because you obviously want to be famous. And the only way you're getting there is if you take the 360 deal because they know they can do this with a thousand other people who are good looking and can hit high notes just like you. Okay, you're right. I mean, that's usually how it goes. Jesus. <laughs> you're, okay. you're killing you're, Keep going. You, okay. So a 360 deal for sub uh, pop, not sub pop, like the sub pop star level people. So let's just say the three streams of revenue are music, touring, and merchandise. Um, from day one, um, music, the, the, the typical royalty deal will take place for music. So if, again, if uh, the project was $15,000 to produce and manufacture, once you recoup on that $15,000, you will likely start or maybe start seeing money. But with merchandise and touring, it's usually not from day one. So how I've seen it in deals offered to bands I've worked with that we've turned down has been um, if Band X sells $100,000 worth of merch online gross, then label Y will begin taking a cut of that merch. If band X um, grosses over X dollars on a tour, label Y will take a cut of that tour revenue. We on the same page? We good? Yeah, yeah, you're killing it. Okay, so that is um, often icky because many labels, if... Uh, if you offer me a band and I'm a hot band, but I'm really still small, like the 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 potential's there, but it's not succeeded yet. If a label offers you, hey, we're only going to start taking merch money once you guys have sold a thousand dollars worth, a hundred thousand dollars worth of goods, like a hundred thousand dollars, that's a big number. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, sure, like we're never going to get there. Guess what? If you're a hot band and the label that you signed to is the right label, you're going to get there potentially really quickly, like within a year maybe. And then a portion of what you make forever will go to that label for merchandise. And by the way, if you're never going to see money from the music you make, you damn well better see all the money from the music and touring you make, from the merch and touring you make, aside from, the, aside from your manager or something like that. So those are the three kinds of deals. 360 deals are tough because they strangle the artists from multiple sides, but labels that do 360 deals that I've spoken with and have deplored have said, hey, we do as much as we can. We deserve to see more money. And, and to me, my response is, your job is to make sure the music sells well. My merch company's job is to make sure the merch sells well. My band's job is to make sure the tour goes well. You shouldn't be getting my merch and my touring rights. Um, not to like... Uh, prop anyone up or throw anyone under the bus, but Rise Records doesn't do 360 deals. And I was surprised when I first found that out. And I said, why not? And they say, we don't sell merch or tour. Your bands do. And I, I've always thought that was very admirable. Well, it's also smart on their part because the other thing is, is just like if you were working a job as a suit, they need to compensate you well to motivate you. Like, just as they say, like, um, 
to bring it to the economy right now is like they talk about Costco, how Costco pays its workers best and they have the lowest turnover. So they're not retraining people and they get a higher productivity out of people and their workers because they actually pay them well. This is one of the main arguments for raising the minimum wage. Do you like Costco? I dude, I haven't lived in a place with a Costco in like so my long. My parents go to Costco know. or BJ's like every other weekend because of Jersey, you know? Yeah. Do, do they go to the one in Wayne? Costco all the time. They go to all of them. Do our parents go to the same Costco? Yeah, I think so. Oh my God. They've probably, my dad and your dad have probably gotten into a fight in the aisles of Costco. I, I think our, I mean, at least my father, I think, behaved enough to got to not get in political fights at Costco. Plus, Costco's a really liberal thing. Your father really shouldn't be shopping there. Just saying. <clears throat> anyway. Oh, uh, uh. <clears throat> the next question is for you, which is they're moving from Austin to Philly in the fall for college. Anything you wish you knew before moving there? Yes. Uh, Philadelphia. Don't go west of 45th Street. Don't go north of Haverford Street. Don't get shot. <laughs> Don't get stabbed either. Don't get a bike. Well, maybe get a bike. But if you're going to get a bike, make sure that you can bring it up to your dorm or inside somewhere. Because if you lock it outside, dude, it's, it's not a lock. You might as well just not even lock it. Um, yeah. But in reality, I assume because you're listening to this show that you like punk music. So... Um, go to r5productions.com, sign up for their newsletter. They do a lot of great shows. Um, keep an eye out for the fire, for the Barbary. A lot of smaller, cool bands play there. The best food place is El Camino. It's my favorite. And uh, if you're vegan or veggie, go to Hip City Veg, New Harmony, um, Blackbird Pizzeria. If you like big-ass pizza, go to Lorenzo's next to the TLA. I, I, I will I will sign for Lorenzo's being that the only reason Philly's in the pizza belt is Lorenzo's. It's kind of crazy. So anyone who's just curious, you should Google Lorenzo's Pizza Philadelphia. The pizza is about, you know, one average slice of pizza. One So you take one average slice of real-world pizza. One Lorenzo slice is two and a half of those. Would you say that's but, but accurate? You, but, you, but you know that they stole this from Hoboken Pizza, right? Jesse, doesn't matter. Does matter because the Hoboken slices are the same size. Okay. So what I'll say about Lorenzo's and that size of pizza, if I'm walking out of a show from the TLA and I want a big fucking slice of pizza, it doesn't even need to be good. But the thing is, Lorenzo's pizza is really good. It is. And it just happens to be so big that you're set. And uh, so, yeah, I recommend those things. And just in general with Philly, um, learn to like to walk if you're from Austin. I don't know if you can really walk in Austin. Can you can you? walk in Austin. Yeah, okay. totally. Philly's great for walking. Uh, you're going to like it. Just it might take a minute. There's a lot of music. There's more venues than anywhere. I should probably also say that the subway is not really a real subway. It's awful. But mm -hmm. from if he lives in Austin, this is going to be a godsend for him, I imagine. No, that's true. And this that's was true. my thing. When I went to Drexel freshman year, and I was suddenly with people from the horrible state of Florida and um, other places in the country. They were all like, oh, my God, the subway, there's a bus, there's a trolley. How can I can't believe you can get around so easily. And I said, you should go to New York. This yeah. is terrible. So the or subway DC. system is kind of whack, but also, you know, it, it's there. So um, Philly's okay. Jesse, this one's definitely not for me. Yep. <laughs> um, from Fallout Guy 78. Wait, this isn't for Jesse either. Jeez. 
Uh, is a preamp configured setup better than one with a receiver for a tournament table or both just as good? It can be just as good. It depends on what two you're comparing. Um, in general, though, an isolated preamp that matches your turntable, all the companies, for example, so if you get a project or a music hall, um, they all have their own preamps that match with them, and those are can be a good idea to get. But you can in a receiver, there can be great phono preamps too. Uh, particularly Sanyo, I remember has a really good one in theirs. So, well, I should also say, uh, in general, if you're looking to buy a record player, you should Google "property of Zach." If you're looking for a new record player, here is your guide by Jesse Cannon from January of 2015, and it will it will take you to the right places. This is true. That's how. That's what we call a a shout a, out to my own a pl- business. A plug. A plug. A plug. A plug. So the next question comes from somebody named I Wish I Was Thomas, as we've joked about before. Um, what's the Ugh. process and the legal res- requisites for using an audio clip from a movie-TV show in a song? Well, the real answer is don't do it. Here's the answer. It ain't happening. You don't have the money to do it. You have to get a license from them, and they're going to charge you so much money that you would basically be paying so much money for that that license that you'll never make the money back. Now, if you're a tiny little punk <laughs> Here we band, go. Here we go. If you're a tiny little punk band, you're not going to press this on vinyl, most likely. You want to just do some underground release. A lot of hip-hop, like when they do this, for example, they do white label vinyls where they just literally stamp the vinyl and they don't put an address on it so they can never get sued. Then they let it leak to the internet and, you know, it's whatever. Um, but yeah, you're not going to be able to afford to do this and you're never going to be able to. When you hear records that are with this, it's because they didn't do it for one. They didn't get permission for one. For two, uh, it might be so old that it was before it was being enforced. Like you hear a lot of 90s hardcore records with these samples on them. Keep getting them checks. Don't get sued. Yeah, don't get sued. Hi, guys. I was hoping you could maybe talk about apps you use to stay organized while working. I've started writing reviews and articles for various websites and keeping track of deadlines is making my head hurt. Also, Zach, any cool tips for coming up with features? Oh, Jesse, this is a great, this is a great Zach Zerillo question. I was going to say, this this one's right up you and I's alley, but you're going to go so long on this. My phone is open. It's not because I'm not paying attention to Jesse. It's because I am being productive. Okay. For mail management, sometimes uh, for those who are trying to write features or need to remember that, hey, I've got to do an interview at this time. Let's make sure it pops back into my mailbox so I can get all pertinent information. I use a mail app called Mailbox. It handles mail just like anything else, but you can bounce messages to return to you at any specific time or a week from now, next week, next weekend. It's great. There's a, and everything I'm talking about is going to be either iOS or OS 10 related. There's a Mac client as well in beta for Twitter. Look, Twitter's important. You know, I like to tweet. I like to tweet with Jesse. It's true. But uh, I'm what you would call a pro user of Twitter. <laughs> What would you call yourself, Jesse? You have two Twitter accounts. I mean, I, I technically have five on my tweet deck. I have a lot too, but yeah, yeah. Jesse, Jesse is such a celebrity that he has um, two Twitter accounts with the same name. It's because the kids don't like reading about me making fun of Chris Christie on the one account and hearing about all the delicious things I eat across New York all day. I just heard my dad say to my mom, "Can I get a Twitter so I can follow Jesse?" so as a as a pro level tweeter i use an app called tweetbot this is where we're getting similar 
TweetBot is my favorite app I've ever used anywhere. Um, it's my most used app. I love it. Um, Same. I have some. I have some bad news for some listeners. A lot of what I'm going to talk about, I pay for. I pay for apps. Um, what I would, if you've never considered paying for an app because you find it ridiculous, um, if you use anything every day and you rely on it, you should be willing to pay for it. Is my thought. Pay pay three to, three whole dollars for it. Yeah, three whole dollars. So for reading, I for if I like to read a so, lot. So so no wait 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 oh, hold sorry. on. Sorry. Do you do you use what do you use for your desktop Twitter though? I use Tweetbot. Oh, see, I use TweetDeck because I think it's way better. Uh-huh. Well, that's where we differ. Well, I mean, you can make all these verticals. You can have the search for when people talk shit on your name uh, on that vertical. You have all the at replies. You can see who's favoriting things. A lot of people talk shit about me, and I see it. I, I see it all. Everyone that's about to yeah. tweet shit about me, I'll see yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so same for both of us. But I think TweetDeck's way better than TweetBot's uh, on the for, Mac. Uh, I use for Chrome. Oh, interesting. Got you. Okay, so let's just say iOS for a second. Uh, for Mail, I use Mailbox. For Twitter, I use Tweetbot. Tweetbot. Um, for podcast listening, I use an app called Overcast. This is the same for both of us. There's a there's a comp, uh, there's a work group app. So if you're in a team, the person that asked me this, actually, if anyone's in a team and you are remote and you or you work in the same office, but you work across the internet, you work across different cities, whatever. There's a great app called Slack um, where you can have multiple, where you have a channel basically for your team. So let's say property of Zach. And in that channel, I can have little groups. <clears throat> so I can, I, have, I can have one for off the record podcast. I can have one for the brain trust of four people that work for the site and so on. For bad timing records, I have one for the bad timing records team. And in there, we have a channel specifically for releases, for mail order, for press. So we can keep conversations going. We can search for things that we said three months ago, et cetera. So I use Slack for communications with my team. Um, I use an app called Todoist for my to-do list. Previously, I used Wonderlist, and I definitely recommend that as well. But Todoist is great um, if you have multiple projects that you work on or multiple companies that you do work with. Um, big fan of Todoist. For notes, um, I, I it, it's been a very hard and long process for me to get into uh, to find a good note taping note note taking app that I like. Um, I'm not I like uh, Evernote in theory, but it's too clunky for me. Uh, I used this incredible app called Simple Note for a long time, um, but it was a little too sparse. And it sounds very strange for me to say this, but I settled on a Microsoft app. No, no. Yep, Microsoft is really getting their shit together right now. It's very strange. Uh, and I use a I use an app called OneNote by Microsoft, and it's the it's the best thing I've found that where I can break up all my uh, all my different businesses and then the projects within those businesses, and also um, have good things like all the proper text editing and um, photo sharing and blah 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 in there. Um, and then for my calendar app, and then maybe this is a good place to to end my iOS list to go on to Jesse. But for a calendar app, I use a calendar called Fantastical. Um, what's really great about it is that it uses natural word, um, natural language, now natural language processing. So in Fantastical, I can type podcast with Jesse 2 p.m. tomorrow. I just type it in and it fills in all the fields for me and then I'm done. Um, many pod, many all calendar apps, you typically have to say, lunch meeting with Jesse. And then you have to go granularly and select all your dates and times and calendars and fantastical just does this for you. And it's great. 
any anything from you to keep productive on your phone. Yeah, I I'm very similar to you. Um, I also use Instapaper to mm-hmm. I can yeah. mo- I can not usually read the articles I want to read when I see them on Twitter or, or whatever. So I send them to Instapaper for when I have time. Yeah, let me explain that. Let me explain, read it later a little bit more because I think it's really great and no one really does it. I think most normal people, I think, don't use a read it later app. So mm-hmm. if you're reading Property of Zach, because I'm giving myself a little shout out today, and you see an article from Jesse and you're like, damn, I'm on my way to school or I'm on my way into a meeting. I can't read this right now. But you don't want to forget about it. You should you should read it at some point. So what you should do is you should download an app called Instapaper or Pocket. You can save all these articles. You just save the link into um, the app. And you can do that now on iOS uh, with extensions on iOS 8, which is really great. So you don't even have to go into the app to save it. And then later when you have some free time on the train or... Uh, before bed or on a Saturday before you go out to a drunk brunch, you can pop open your app and these apps are available on iPad, iPhone, uh, the Mac, on the web, etc. And you can just read all your articles and it's great. Yeah. So I really like that. Um, I use the Apple Reminders app for my reminders because I particularly like... Well, there's a really good reason because the other ones don't do this as well. Is that Apple has a particular function in the reminders that it'll remind you when you get somewhere to do something. Very true. And since I bounce from work to home and I never remember what I have to do with the two, I do that. I literally have like one set. I have locations for the liquor store, for the grocery store, for Damn, the music store. I love you. Yeah, I mean, like I, I, I have that, and you know that until the other apps are good as good at that. I will never switch from the Todoist. I I will say Todoist is now really good at that. But it's funny. I I tried that before, and I tried any to do this weekend, and I gave up on any to do after about three days. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I also, funny enough, though, when I'm at work, I keep a handwritten to do list. I sometimes do that because you know what I find is the best is I put on that to do list anything I have to do before the day ends or that I'm going to put on the list tomorrow. And it makes me remember them a little bit better, I think. And mm. I can just write it down really fast. Like, perfect example is you said something that reminded me before. I can just write it down. So that's my one analog thing. I also, I like Slack. I use Pocket for a different purpose than what I use It's the paper for. So I save Pocket for all the cool things that, I, that aren't reading that I want to do later. So, for example, I see a couch that I would like to own one day. I throw that in my pocket. I huh. see so a YouTube that's basically video. Why you, it's your Pinterest, really. Yeah, I keep it segregated because I wouldn't want my Pinterest to be public or anything, too. Because um, then people would see what a yuppie I am and how not punk I am. So, I use that for that. And that's pretty much my... Um, I will say this, that my biggest productivity tool, though, is a multi-layered gmail inbox with boomerang so i do multiple inbox function on gmail which is something you could set in the preferences and then i use a i do inbox zero so i'm always answering the emails but then i have a bunch of tags that are my other inboxes that are when i should see should do with something so for example if i star something it's then sitting in a thing for me to remember and keep this in my mind because it'll be on my screen that i have to do this but i'm not going to do it right now and then the other ones are filed away for when I should do it. And I will use this app called Boomerang to do what Zach said with Mailbox, which is send things back to me in two weeks if I need to remember it. 
etc. Do, do you know we're nerdy? Yeah, I think anybody who's listened to more than one episode of this knows that we're we're nerds and that we're both have way too many jobs to uh, stay on ours. Um, I'm going to try this OneNote thing, though, because I have the same problem. OneNote's really great. I'll send you some screenshots just about why it's useful for me. Like it. it yeah, I, I went from Evernote to Simple Note, which is truly like you can't bold stuff like there's no like it's so sparse. I tried Simple Note. I think I saw you and Jason tweeting about it like a week or two ago. And I tried it for 10 minutes. And I gave up. I on used it. it for a long time and I, I love it, but it, it's some I, I needed more. And, and so OneNote has been oddly successful for me. Um, yeah, because Evernote, my problem, too, is is that I lose stuff all the time yeah. because the syncing's bad. Right. This is good. So I'll, I'll send this to you after the show. But um, one other, I, two other things. Um, I use an app. If anyone's in school and needs like a good homework tracking app, I'd recommend iStudies with a Z Pro. The name is awful, but uh, I've used it every year that I've been in college and it's been good. Also, um, I talk to people on Facebook a lot. Um, but I don't like Facebook Messenger, but I'm not trying to be on Facebook all day or, or ever. So I downloaded, I have an app called Goofy where it's basically just a, a, brow, uh, a windowed face, uh, Facebook Messenger client uh, on my desktop. That's very helpful for me. Um, and I use iMessage all day to talk to people. Whew, that felt, that felt fun. I might have to write about this on the site. You know, I, I spent like... 20 minutes the other day going through the life hacker version of this because I'm uh, traveling a bunch this summer and I wanted to get a new backpack and a backpack organizer. Mm. So I settled on a Herschel, oh. Her, a Herschel like the hipster I am and a... Um, oh my God. Did you just get... Did you get it at Urban Outfitters? I, I ordered it on Amazon. Thank you very much. Um, and then I got a grid it. Do you know what this is? I, I th- Yeah, I do. Yeah. So if you listeners don't know, a grid it, is a whole bunch of elastic straps on a board so that you can put like your charger and everything up to it and your bag doesn't become a mess when you travel, which uh, is something that makes me insane. Yeah. Uh, traveling is tough. I, I have a method, but everyone should have their own travel method and you should all for, get for, good at it. For how neurotic and disorganized you I, can I recommend yourself. to everyone that you create, you sit hard and long and you think of a list of anything you ever need when you travel you put that in an app and you make sure that you have all of those things every time. Mm-hmm. And then you uncheck it and then you do it all over again. God damn it. I have that. I have a Google Doc of that. We're disasters as people. No, we're really We're so good at this granular stuff. We should just like, I know we can't get paid for it, but if like if we could just do this all day, you know, <laughs> just like make packing lists. Do, do, do you want to be uh, uh, life coaches for people and teach them how to do this? Life coaches for pug kids? Uh, we've 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 got it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a real money making. It's a bummer sure. we're never allowed to release this episode because they'll see how we found this idea. Jeez. <laughs> so the uh, next question somebody had was oh wait, really one quick. Oh, yeah. so there's a there's a second part of this question, which was also Zach. Any cool tips for coming up with features? Um, I would say, what do you like to read? What are what would you like to read that you haven't been able to find anywhere? And I know those sound like really vague questions, but the answers to those questions are the features that you should come up with for your own website. Um, More than that, too, though, you know how I come up with most of them? Like the article we were talking about that I'm going to do for you is when I see somebody, everybody saying something, but I know something else to be true, or I see people not saying something that I've discovered, you just got to find that. That Venn diagram is the easiest thing. What's 
We can't all be as smart as Jesse Cannon. That's not true. There's t- tons of people who see that every day. I talk to people yes, all the true. time who'd say, say things, and I'm like, you should write about that. You see that. Everybody has a, a Venn diagram of information that they get from somebody else, unless you're totally illiterate and don't read and you only listen to podcasts where guys go on about apps. You can usually find something that you're seeing that Sounds not like everybody else is saying. <laughs> so, uh, this is an interesting question. I like this one. Um, I would spend money on a streaming service that was kind of my spacey, but with more of a focus on live shows. I wish I could pick and choose which genre shows I get invited to or not raves states away. That's all I get. If someone gets it to work and it actually takes off, you can have event pages and people actually use the data that up- that's obtained could be really useful with tours. Sorry, that is long. That's funny. It's like, I wonder if somebody was building something like that. Jesse, um, what, if, if I could ask you the, the, do you, you live in, you're a citizen of New York. Is that an an accurate statement? Uh, That, 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 that is unless you're reading my tax return. Huh? Same. Oh no, no. I am New York. Okay. Um, so if you were to go to your Facebook events right now and you had to scroll past the last 30 that you've declined. Do you think the average events that you've been invited to would be in New York? Yes, Zach, because as I've discussed with you a million times on the Twitter machine, what I do when I make a new friend with somebody and the only times I actually got a little behind on this in the last week is for some reason I made uh, like 100 new friends on Facebook recently. They changed their algorithm. I don't add anyone on Facebook anymore. I'm done with people. I'm done with friends. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure sure the world is relieved. I've defended you. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um, when I make friends with somebody, I make a decision whether I'm turning off their invites or not. Uh-huh. And that's basically comes down to, do they live near me? And do I even know who this person is? Or is it just some weirdo who read my book and is now friending me and they're from Idaho or whatever? Because I don't want their invites. Yesterday, so- I was invited to a EDM show in Berlin. Nice. So... Um, what I would say about this question is like, this kind of sounds cool, but, um, if you're looking just for, to be notified frequently of shows and to be able to act on them, like just in general, like, uh, if, if anyone hasn't heard of bands in town, it's a really good service where they, um, they pick up the artists you like via Facebook likes, or you can input them. And so if you like, um, Blink-182 on Facebook and Blink-182 announces a show with Matt Skiba, uh, you'll get an email only when it's around you. Um, so if they announce four shows in California and you live in New Jersey, they won't email you. But if they announce a show in Philadelphia, Connecticut, and uh, I don't know, Maryland, they'll tell you. Uh, and, There's and also cool. a song kick who does song this kick as, well. as well. And band page does it too. That's that's accurate. The, the two most popular bands in town and song kick. At that though, we. Should I don't say, need any more social networks in well, my life. But we, what we should say, what we should say though, is band page is important for bands to update because you know what band page does is it puts it in the Google search results. Ooh, and that's important. That is. So our next question, you know, that last one was kind of a statement, huh? That was uh, a statement. God, people, it was a good statement. people, good, you good can't statement. statement is only questions. 
I just started an LLC for my band, and as we're picking up some steam and wanting to keep a better eye on finances and avoid keeping all our money in cash and members' personal bank accounts, I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed by the process. Could you give some tips on running a small, growing business that doesn't have traditional employees? Our main focus right now is having a bank account from which we can pay for merch orders, gas, uh, for merch orders and gas on the road. And this is from Austin. My God, LLCs. I'm yeah, tra- awful. I'm in the I'm in the thick of two new ones right now, and they're they're rough, guys. Awful. Give me give me your money. I need to read this very quickly again. I'm trying to. Feel, could could you give us some tips on running a small growing business? You read it. I'll start answering. Okay. There's an app called FreshBooks. That's your first good friend. That's the best uh, accounting software, I guess you would call it. Uh, that I know of. I was used to use one called Skyclerk, but FreshBooks is definitely way better and a huge improvement uh, in that format. Um, as far as getting a bank account, go find a low-interest bank that doesn't have high fees for when you guys inevitably mess up because you're in a band and you don't know how to be responsible. TD Bank North particularly has low fees, which is why I use them, even though I haven't bounced a check in like God knows how many years I still... I like to support a bank that's uh, also good to its customers, and I think TD is very good to them, a.k.a. don't use Chaser, Skank of America. I use Bank of America, and I— Great uh, job, Zach. Great job. I I, uh, I would recommend Bank of America to anyone. Really? Why, why do you recommend Bank of America? I've, had, I've never had a bad experience. I've never had a bad Aside experience. when they almost toppled our country with their bad business practices, but that's a different story. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> You just have a hernia? Yeah, it's just, it's just like something in my throat. It's just, just this liberal socialist that lives inside me. Look, here's the deal. All banks are awful. It's true. Uh, like Cred- credit unions are good, but they're inconvenient. Yeah, this is the thing. For me, Bank of America are, is widespread throughout the country, and so that's good for bands on tour when they need to deposit cash. Fight me. Yeah, no, fight me, there's, fight there's, me, you socialist. There, there, there is a lot of truth to that. What's good about Bank of America is you can deposit just about anywhere in America. Because the they will be take your, They want your money everywhere. <laughs> did, what did you say? It's true. And I said the same could be said for Chase. Oh God. Okay. I thought you said the same. Wow. I just heard something so different, Jesse. I heard <laughs> the same. <laughs> could it be said for Greece? <laughs> oh Jesus. <laughs> We we've both not almost we've both said not harsh <laughs> things mis- today. Misheard, misheard bad things today. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Good, good to know. Um, um, but yeah, you just get a bank under your business. Now that you're an LLC, you have a tax ID and you can open a business account, and then you don't have to put it in personal accounts. That's the whole reason you got an LLC. And as we've talked about in the past, what's very important about LLC is if you unfortunately get sued or in an accident, everyone is covered together and safe together. Um, versus one member being vulnerable or all members being vulnerable to a lawsuit. So nice. So with that, uh, the next one one is from Jack uh, M.E.B., uh, who's Jack Appleby, a listener to the show and a friend of the show. Um, a, a topic I'm curious about, what causes a streaming subscriber to change services? Do people bounce? Um, hmm. Jesse... You're you've always been a uh, RDO faithfulist, right? I tr- I've tried to leave RDO, but I keep Me coming too. back to my my original squeeze. Like it's like you know when you um, date a girl all through high school, and then you just keep coming back to her or something. Like first loves, man, they're tough. What causes me? Well, I know what causes. I so I interview people about this all day because it's what I'm concerned with in life. And I think what's very interesting, one of the biggest complaints I hear from people and uh, is that 
they get mad with the way services, when they lose a part of catalog, how they screw up their playlists. But Spotify has recently got really good with doing that, whereas RDO and Beats are supposedly terrible with this. But I don't know that I know any factual data to pass on about this, but I know for me is that I just don't think these services have come into maturity yet, and I'd like to see them get better. Yeah, for me, um, well, first of all, like, Look, all these services except one percent have the same music catalog. Like, I don't, I don't think that's currently a valuable thing. Like, I yes, I think Spotify has some more music than RDO does. I think I don't know how true true that is. I think that that really every aggregator is all going to the same ones. I agree, except by major choice. So, like, Beats has Taylor Swift's back catalog. Spotify doesn't. Like, except those large choices. Like, if that's going to be your make or break, that would be a reason I think people change. But to me, it's just, if you like playlists and you're really into collaborating with your friends and seeing what your friends are listening to, then I think Spotify is why someone would switch to Spotify, right? Like Spotify, like my friend Eric, who who manages Modern Baseball, like we were talking, we were talking at the office for two hours and every 10 minutes revolved around, man, how many of my friends are listening to Modern Baseball or to Knuckle Puck or to Modest Mouse? It was really interesting to see that. 50 of Eric's friends listened to Brand New in the past week, and uh, 15 had listened to Sea Haven, for example, something like that. You know, that was interesting. If, if you're someone that's very social and, and likes to find music socially, that's for you. For me, I don't care about what Jesse Cannon listens to, honestly, until he tells yeah. me, until when he recommends me a movie and I watch it two months later. I, I don't, I don't, I just <laughs> frankly like, it, like, I'm sure that's definitely interesting to me. But I care more about the experience of the app if it works the way I want to. And I, I think those are like the two separate kind of camps. There's also the third camp that just doesn't care and wants to just stream music. And whoever they found out about first, they'll use that. And whatever's cheapest, they'll use that. Um, to me, I haven't found a service that does what I want yet. Uh, maybe the Apple service will. Maybe not. But um, curation, I guess, would also be the other large one. And that's what Beats and Apple will be selling on most likely. I also don't want to be curated to. I don't like playlists. Um, I like listening to albums. I'm a freak. You, you, you know what I like on Spotify that I can't, I don't get on audio? Um, some of my favorite musicians now keep a playlist of their favorite songs. I like that too. Uh, Dan yeah. from Dan from Real Friends does that, and I've I've told him many times. I think it's very smart. I've said like I know you're not doing this for like business reasons, but I think it's really cool, and I think it's a it's a great way to show your fans and and the people that follow you. Um, music that you should that you think should get more pop like exposed more basically and i think that's really cool it's it's funny i, I keep two of them on rdo i keep a pop one and then a, a punk one um but like real punk i try not to put like pop punk on it and stuff that's like obvious like i try to put like what my friends who still my old friends who still want to hear good punk rock like we listened to when we were young i do one i think that that's one of the coolest things and one of the things i think will make another big difference in who goes to where these these playlists are because whoever can harness this the best is going to really uh, take over. So this is from Christina. Zach, as someone who works for Synergy Management, what do you know about smaller bands opening? Uh, smaller opening bands are approved to play bigger bills. My friend's band was being looked at to open for Super Heaven and Roswell Kid on Long Island, and I'm just curious. What exactly is management looking for when a baby band submitted for approval? So there's actually a few things to this. Um, there's a few different tiers of how this would work. Um, so sometimes um, 
from uh, booking agents and bands on touring acts do not let any locals on. This would typically be a case when a band has reached like a 500 to 1,000 level capacity um, room. They don't need any locals, so unless they have a friend in town that they want to play their show, there's not going to be any local locals. Uh, if a band's playing smaller rooms like the Studio Webster Hall and they need uh, some help, typically zero to 50 tickets to be sold, uh, promoters will typically um, add one or two locals to the bill. And how this happens is two steps. Either one, management and the band's headlining do not care about the local locals and let the promoters pick whoever they think will draw the best. Two, um, the bands that are playing the tour may care and may request to see all the bands that have submitted to play locally and then approve or deny them. Um, so those are the typical two ways. Um, for Synergy, I honestly have no idea what Super Heaven decided to do. I would imagine that it's a Jake Zimmerman show in Long Island, and he just picked whatever bands he thought would bring the most to the show. And ultimately, for the headlining bands, like they just want to sell more tickets so they can get more people in the door and to have a healthier tour. Well, let's also say this. I think it's very uncommon that the management is who's doing the approving for the local. Very uncommon. I think what's like what's much more the ultimate common is the promoters choosing it. The second most common is that the band knows a local band that they like that they want to throw on a show, or their cousin wants to get on it, or something, or just their old roadies band or something like that. That's the most common way you see a random local on a show. But the management choosing it, I mean. I will be honest, I think in the time I managed Man Overboard and Transit, the two times I was asked that, it was always funny because it would be this thing of that they were like, we were told you would say yes to this, but the booking agent would say it to me. And I'm like, and, you know, and usually, of course, I think was like both times, I had never heard of these people. They just knew my name and were being fucking dicks. Everyone's a dick. That's how it goes. And you know who didn't play the show because they lied? You. Yes, well, I never play the show because my remix band doesn't play shows. Oh, my God, you're going to keep haunting me with this. <laughs> <laughs> like, Jesse, be straight with me. If I, like, put some real time into Google, you know what? I, don't, th I, don't, I don't think you could find it. I don't think you could find it. You, for, our, for our loyal... Does not have my name anywhere near it. You would never find it. For our loyal listeners... Please hashtag tell OTR if you want to do some digging work and find Jesse's remix project. I promise you he will quit this show if you do. I'm okay with it. <laughs> Jesse, do you have any recommendations for us this week? going to rec recommend two very self-promotional things, which is I produced some great new stuff with a band called Heyana. They have a single that just premiered over on uh, Nylon, and you can hear it uh, on their SoundCloud or their Facebook. And then I worked with another band called Franchise, which is one of my favorite heavy records I've ever done. It really came out great. I think they're really heavy in a unique way, like kind of like Touche Amour or something. Poison the Well. Yes. What a, I, I, you know, I never get that because I've heard it pronounced both ways. Like when you say the real word, not the band name. Yes, but just trust me on this one. Okay. Okay. I, I'm just saying. I feel like that, that, that one's up in the air. But anyway, yeah. Uh, I recommend those two. Lovely. I uh, will recommend two albums that are not currently out, but for people to pay attention for singles and to check out the albums when they are out. Um, one is Pale Horses by Me Without You. It's a really phenomenal record. Um, 
That's out on 616. The other is Real Stories of True People Who Kind of Look Like Monsters by a very small band called Oso Oso. O-S-O, O-S-O. Um, two completely different records, both very good. Um, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. If you want to keep up with us, subscribe to us on iTunes, rate us on iTunes, so Jesse will be less of a socialist. All these things are possible. You can find links at offtherecord.fm. Thank you, and we will be back next week.